Good morning. It's so good to see you guys. So, so good. I uh, had, some of you already know, had COVID before Christmas, and so uh, took me out of Christmas Eve services and went here on the 26th, and so I'm glad to be feeling better, but like, I'm just glad to like see people <laughs> and just to be back with you, worshiping with you. Like, it's just filling me with joy uh, this morning, so I sincerely mean like, I'm glad to see you. I'm glad you're here. Um, we are going to uh, start the year with a series entitled the, the, the Dawn of the Church. And so I want to just start here with some explanation of why, why we're doing this and why it's important. So like, I think it is super important for churches, every church, to stop periodically and to, to revisit the scriptures uh, and to look at the way that the Bible defines church, like to be and to do, like what, who are we supposed to be and what are we supposed to be doing to revisit that periodically just to kind of recalibrate ourselves, to, to look at our efforts and make sure what we're doing aligns with the scriptures. And, uh, and so you would hope that when a church starts uh, at the beginning, right, that it would be founded on the principles of scripture, that the, what the Bible describes, that's what the church would be aimed at doing, aimed at being. But what happens as we I reminded in the old hymn, uh, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, is that we are prone to wonder. And even as a church, we can be prone to wonder or drift away from the biblical mandates, the biblical descriptions of what it means to be the church. And so at least once a year, we stop and we, we revisit the scriptures and we ask ourselves, how are we doing? Are there areas uh, in our church where we need to make adjustments or recalibrate or realign? This is, this is true of all of us as believers as well. It's not like we, we, right, we, we come to Jesus on day one and everything is in place and when, then we just roll with it like we're constantly going to the scriptures and evaluating how am I doing, where in my life, are there inconsistencies with the character of Christ, what's the Holy Spirit doing in me, where is he challenging me, transforming me, healing me. And in the same way as a church, it's so important that we do that. Now, some of you, like, maybe have grown up in church, and so you've had, um, you've been a part of, like, healthy churches, biblical churches, churches that do that periodically, that realign themselves with the scriptures, and so you have some understanding of what we're, we're aiming at when we gather together on Sundays, when we do our different things. Others of you, though, this, like, may be your first church experience, or you're coming from, like, an unhealthy, unbiblical church experience, and so you're coming in here today going, I don't know what it means to be like. I have no idea what it means to be the church. And so for you, this series might be, my hope would be, it'd be really helpful, really enlightening um, to kind of reset some of your expectations for who God is and who he's called his people to be and what it means to be a part of the local church. And so we're going to go through this series, uh, primarily uh, the book of Acts chapter 1 and mainly chapter 2, looking at the dawn of the church. A matter of fact, where we're going to be today is what I would call ground zero or day one um, of the inauguration of God's church. And this is going to take us to Acts chapter 2 verse 1. Uh, and we'll read the first few verses and set some context for getting started here today. So to begin with, verse 1 says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on 
each one of them. So just to give you some context here, uh, the timestamp is important. It's the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, the idea is 50. It was uh, celebrated. It was a feast that the Jews celebrated 50 days after the Sabbath of the Passover week. Okay, so that's important because essentially when we think about the Sabbath of the Passover week, after Jesus and his disciples celebrate the Passover meal, he's betrayed and arrested in the garden. Then he's crucified day one. Day two, the Sabbath, he's in the tomb. And then day three, Sunday, he resurrects from the dead. So this has been essentially 50 days since that Saturday where Jesus' body lay in the tomb. So we're about 49 days, seven weeks after the resurrection. Okay, and so this was Pentecost. And what we're reading here is that they were all together. The they here are, is a description of all who believed. So this is about 120 people at this point in time, somewhere between 120 and 200 people who had heard the teachings of Christ. They were familiar with his death. They either saw him being crucified or they heard that he was being crucified. And then they heard that he had resurrected and they put their faith in. They believed it. These were the first followers of Jesus. Now they have not yet become the church, but they're gathering together in one place. It says that they were at a house. Okay, so historically we start thinking, okay, well, upper room, because that's the main place that this crew met, was the upper room. That's where Jesus appeared to them. And so now that we're numbering 120 plus people, more than likely wouldn't have fit in the upper room. So if they're in the upper room, it's pretty packed. Um, or the idea is that they're like out in the front yard, so they're gathered at a house, but they may not necessarily be in the house. They could be out in the, in the courtyard, and it would still be part of the house. Now, that's important because what's about to happen is going to take their gathering out into the streets, kind of take it public, um, and the rest of the city is going to get involved in what's happening, okay? And so they're all together, those who had said, you know what, I'm following Jesus. I'm surrendering my life to follow this Jesus guy. I believe in him. I believe in his resurrection. They were all together at Pentecost, and they experienced this thing that happens. Verse 2 says, and suddenly, it's like out of nowhere, weren't expecting it, weren't even asking for it. They were just gathered together, probably praying together and talking more about the resurrection and just talking more about the teachings of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, something happens. All of a sudden, uh, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Now, the whole scene can seem a bit odd without further investigation. You just read it on survey, like, well, this is kind of strange. There's wind, there's tongues of fire, they're talking in languages. What's going on here? So the, the, it's important to pay attention to what the Bible says. It doesn't say that all of a sudden a mighty wind started blowing. It says all of a sudden something happened that sounded like a rushing wind. Okay, so like if you were outside yesterday when the cold front hit and the wind just started like blowing, that's not what happened. But whatever's happening, it sounded like that. Like something starts happening all of a sudden that was audible and the description is that it sounded like a rushing wind. Now, it's really important to, to kind of understand even like the words being used here because the word here, pneuma in the Greek, can be translated wind. Uh, it, it can also be translated breath, like when you exhale. And when we look at how God imparts himself to his people through scriptures, we're going to see a connection here. So, for example, if you go back to Genesis 2, creation of Adam, 
God forms Adam physically before he has life. How does God impart life to him? God exhales into his nostrils and breathes life into Adam. We think about like Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones, and Ezekiel's the prophet, and God's telling him what to prophesy and what to say. And Ezekiel calls on the four winds to come and to do what? To bring life, to impart life to these, these bones of dead people and, and to do what? To bring them back to life. This idea that God is imparting himself to creation, it sounds like rushing wind. That's a pretty helpful description. And so as the people are, are here together in this place, all of a sudden, it's almost like God just exhaled. <sighs> did you hear that? Yeah, did you hear that? Yeah, it sounds like the, man, it's not the wind. The wind is just shaking this building. But then something visually happens. Did you, did you catch that description? It, it's going to get strange for a minute. What happens visually is this, that the entire house where they were, the wind, it filled the entire house where they were sitting, or the sound of it did, and then divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, and then rested on each one of them. Okay, so this is getting strange in a hurry, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's strange enough that all of a sudden now we can just hear things, like whew, something's happening, like God's exhaling. Now we're starting to see these tongues that look like they're on fire. Anybody, like, if this had happened this morning during the first part of the service, you would have been a little unnerved. It's not what you expected. But then these tongues of fire begin to rest, land on each one of them. So what do we make of this? What's cool is when you look back over the Old Testament, and remember, this is the beginning of the church. It's also fairly close to the beginning of the New Testament. We have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Luke writes the book of Acts. This is the beginning of the church, okay? So you think about the book of Acts, one way to think of it, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. It's what the Holy Spirit's doing. But when you go before that in the scriptures and you look at God showing up with people and making his presence known, you're gonna see there's this connection, this thread of how God shows up and reveals himself to his people. Like you start all the way back in like Genesis 15 where God enters into a covenant relationship with Abram. And the way that you would ratify a covenant is that you would sacrifice an animal, whether it was between two people or between God and man. And so if you and I made a covenant, we would bring animals to the sacrifice. We would maybe butcher a lamb. And we would, we would divide it in half. And then you and I would link arms or grab hands or we would tie our wrists together and we would walk between the halves of the animal, essentially saying, if I break this covenant with you, may what happened to this animal happen to me. Until death do we part. So in Genesis 15, God is making a covenant with Abram. And as an animal has been sacrificed, the two halves have been laid open. And listen to verse 17. It says this, that when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces of the animal, between these pieces. So God's presence, him making himself visible to Abram in their covenant moment was the appearance of this smoking fire pot and this flaming torch. And it's the way that God showed Abraham, I'm here. I'm making this covenant with you. God revealing himself through fire. You keep tracking God's involvement with 
the, the, the nation of Israel, you get to like the book of Exodus where they're first off in ca- captivity and slavery. So God comes to Moses and how does he speak to Moses? Through a burning bush. Like this, listen to this description. Verse two, Exodus three. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, Moses, in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Then God goes on to talk with Moses through this angelic being. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Why? Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. What made the ground holy? God's presence. Not a bush. Not Moses. Not the quality of the soil. The grass. What made it holy was God's presence. And he said, I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. For he was afraid to what? Look at God. The, the, told the idea of the burning bush wasn't God just putting on a magic show. It was God making his presence known to Moses. And how did he choose to do that? Through fire. Think about how the nation of Israel, once they're drawn out of slavery into this, this journey through the wilderness, how did God guide them? How did they know they were following God and not their own ambition or Moses' map or whatever they wanted to do? How did they know they were on the right track as they walk through the desert, through the wilderness, towards the promised land. Exodus 13, verse 21, and the Lord went before them. So God gets out in front of them. Well, how do they know where he's at? I can't see him. He went out before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before people we get to mount sinai ten commandments you remember this scene it's pretty traumatic nation of israel gathered there at the ground below mount sinai moses is invited up onto the mountain exodus 19:18. now mount sinai was wrapped in smoke because the lord had descended on it in fire the smoke of it went up like the smoke of kindling and the whole mountain trembled greatly Exodus 40, 38. This was now fast forward to the tabernacle, which was basically the mobile temple. Before they had a permanent temple, they had this kind of like a big tent that they, they was their temple. It was called the tabernacle. And so how did they know that God was present? Like, how do they know they weren't just showing up at church, going through the motions, and that God was somewhere else because he got bored? Like, how do they know God was there? He tells them in Exodus 40, 38, for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and the fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So even, even when we get to the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, he's recording the things that John the Baptist said. And in Luke 3, 16, he says this, he, he, or he, um, he writes down John saying this. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, here's what to make of all this. 
God has chosen to take that which he has created, things like fire and wind, and he has chosen to reveal himself to his people, right, in a tangible way that are like wind and it's like fire. Does that mean that every time you see fire, that's the presence of God? No, 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 no. God's just saying, like, like I, you'll know when I show up. And so this, this tongues of fire thing is God's presence. He's saying, listen, I am here. Now, he could have done another burning bush. He could have done the smoking pot of fire, like with Abraham, right? He could have used one of these other forms of fire, but it's tongues of fire. Like, isn't that strange? And what do we make of that? I, if it had just been a burning bush in the corner, I think there would have been a different reaction. Oh, I've read about this. I've heard about this. This is how God speaks. But like these tongues of fire, and like, whoa, it's coming at me. Like it's going to rest on me. What does that mean? I think it's so important to understand what God is doing here. Now, as we take this journey, um, the dawn of the church, and we look at what it means to be a biblical church, the first question we're going to ask is, where does our power come from? What's the source of our efficacy? If we accomplish anything that Jesus has called us or commanded us to accomplish, to what or to whom do we give credit? That's important to know, isn't it? Because we want to know how to do it again and how to continue doing the things that Christ has called us to do. So where is our power? Where's our source of efficacy as the church? So verse 4, we begin to understand more deeply what God's doing here as he shows up and makes himself known. Verse 4 in Acts 2 says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to do things. So the doing of the believers here is rooted in what source? The Holy Spirit. What they're about to do, they couldn't do, they didn't even know to do until the Holy Spirit came and in empowered them now to do something that God wanted them to do they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven and at this sound the multitude came together this is important and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language so the, the, the tongue component is really important because what we're seeing is that the empowerment of God through the Holy Spirit towards his people it's aimed at something now there are a lot of things that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit does okay so this is not the birth of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit has been active right eternally right Genesis 1 let us create man in our image that's father son and spirit all throughout the Old Testament, there are appearances of the Holy Spirit at various times to do various things. Matter of fact, when they're building the temple, even the artisans and the stonemasons were empowered by the Holy Spirit to build God's temple in a very specific way. We know that it was the Holy Spirit that empowered King David to rise into leadership and to rise into influence and to rise as a king over God's people. Right? We know that because once he actually messes things up and he wanders away from God's will and he commits adultery and then he commits murder psalm 51 and his prayer of repentance what does he say oh god take not your holy spirit from me i am one of the rare ones who knows what it's like to have your holy spirit oh god i hope i have not messed things up so bad that you would take your holy spirit from me 
So this is not the beginning of the Holy Spirit, but it is the beginning of something. It's the inauguration of something. It's the start of something. And the Holy Spirit has come to empower believers. And our question is, well, to what end? Because we know the Holy Spirit works in a lot of ways. Matter of fact, did you know the Holy Spirit worked in you before you became a Christian? It was the Holy Spirit drawing you to Christ, opening your eyes to see and your ears to hear the truth of the gospel. You didn't stumble into Christianity on your own. You didn't become a Christian just out of volition and a desire. I want to be different, so I think I'll try this one. If you truly are in Christ, it's it's a miraculous thing. It's a supernatural thing. The Holy Spirit of God drew you to himself and opened your ears to hear the gospel that you might respond with faith. We know that once you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit seals you for eternity. And the Holy Spirit empowers you with gifts. You know that? Supernatural gifts. And the Holy Spirit in you, those who believe. Not only that, did you know that after day one, you're not done? You start this process of transformation. It's real slow. It's kind of like watching a tree grow. It looks bigger than it was last year. Did anybody see it grow? No. Why? Because it happens slowly over time. That's a decent metaphor for understanding how sanctification works. That's the transformation of your character, your inner being, and your identity. How does that happen? You sign up for a class? Like, how does that happen? Here's how it happens. The Holy Spirit of God is dwelling in you, working in you, working in tandem with God's Word, and transforming you slowly over time to be more like Christ. Did you know that's happening in you? For most of us, it's, it's a slow grind. More and more like Christ every day. Holy Spirit's doing that in you. But what the Holy Spirit is doing here is what he's doing in all believers. I think it's important to understand when we look at the symbolism of the tongue, you go, what does that mean? You go, well, God's empowering them to speak in a way Right, that people are understanding a message from multiple different languages. That's, a, that's not a small thing. And we go back to the end of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. This is a resurrection appearance. Jesus is revealing himself to his disciples. He's preparing them for his departure. It's like, hey guys, remember how I told you I was going to have to leave? But remember when I told you that before the cross, that I was going to have to leave? I told you, hey, it's for your good, because in my departure, you're going to experience the arrival of the Holy Spirit. You're going to experience the arrival of the helper, the counselor. He's going to come. As I leave and depart, the Holy Spirit's going to come. Remember, remember me telling you that? Okay, so now I just resurrected from the grave. Look at what he says. This is Luke 24, 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, it's the Old Testament, it must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead. And what? What will happen when he does that? Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So he said, guys, I'm going to resurrect from the dead, then I'm going to commission you to go out in the world and do something. What are we going to do? Oh, we're going to take a message out into the world. We're going to be his witnesses out in the world. He says, verse 48, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending 
the promise of my Father upon you. He's reminding, I'm going to send the Spirit. So here's my instructions. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be empowered. You're going to have a power that you didn't previously have. Matter of fact, you get to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is Jesus speaking just before he ascends. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the idea of power is pretty clear here. The question is empowerment to do what? What's this empowerment for? And when we see this God making himself known with these visual images of of a tongue, and then what happens as a direct result is now they begin speaking a message supernaturally, right, that other people can understand. Look at what happens next. This is verse 7. So they, real quick, This is why I think maybe they were out in like the outer courts of the house. They could have moved outside, I don't know. But now people on the street, like it's beginning to spill over into the streets, whatever's happening. So now they're beginning to gather a group of people who weren't with them previously. People from Jerusalem who are there for Pentecost, who've traveled, these foreigners, they probably heard the wind noise and like, what's going on on that street? I don't know, let's go check it out. And as they got closer, they begin to hear things, they begin to see things. And the people here were astonished. And they were saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Galileans? And what they're referring to is, wait a second, these guys are from a certain region. They have a certain language and dialect. And there's something supernatural about the way they are speaking. Aren't they Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language that's the miracle here the tongue flaming tongues the wind noise that's all just what happens when God shows up the miracle is that they're speaking as Galileans in a way where all these different people from different languages are hearing their message and then we get a list Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Here's the miracle. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, and they're saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking them and said what? (laughs) These guys are drunk. They're filled with new wine. Like everybody agreed something unexplainable was happening, and some were like, wow, this is powerful. We need to listen. There's a miracle happening here. And others backed away. They're like, there's got to be some other explanation. I'm not in on this yet. These guys just must be drunk. Now, What's unfolding here is so incredibly significant. It's significant in the big story of your Bible. It's significant in understanding the role and the mission of the church. But it's also really, really important and significant in you understanding what the Holy Spirit's doing in you 
what he's called you to? What supernatural thing is he doing in you? We start with the big story of God. The way your Bible unfolds when you start in Genesis 1 and start on reading, start reading, um, chapter 1 and 2 is going to start with an account of creation. It's going to help us understand the starting point, kind of ground zero for creation. Chapter 3 is where everything gets um, off the rails, comes off the rails. Right, this is where sin and death enter into the story. And essentially chapter 3 through like chapter 11 is just the unfolding of that train wreck. It's just the unfolding of the train coming off the rails, carnage being passed on from one generation to another, sins of the father, onto the sins of the son, onto the sins of the grandson. It just starts unfolding and unra- uh, kind of coming off the, off the rails. And it climaxes in this epic moment where mankind comes together in what's referred to as the Tower of Babel. It's actually the city of Babel. Um, and what they're doing is that mankind is, at this point, essentially uh, just one kind of common culture, and they had one language. They all spoke the same language. And what they wanted to do was they essentially wanted to build a great name for themselves by building a tower um, by which they could essentially make their way to God. This is their way of putting God on a leash. If we can build a tower big enough to get to God, we don't need God. He needs us. And so as you can imagine, God's not going to stand by and just let this happen. But do you remember the supernatural thing that God did to dismantle their plans? Like, he could have done a lot of things. Earthquake would have been appropriate, right? Let's just see how well you build towers. Oh, look at that. It came crumbling down. He could have done a number of different things, a tsunami. Like, he could have just, all these natural disasters were at his, what does he do that was supernatural that dismantled their plans? It was very simple. He confused their language. That's all he had to do. He just took away their ability to talk with one another and they became so disheveled and and so like just confused and scared that they quit building a tower and they began to disperse over the whole earth. Now, as God launches his church on the inaugural day of the church, you see what God is doing? It's, It's a supernatural thing. He's doing a supernatural act of what? One common language. Instead of dispersing, he's pulling people together into the church. And it's the common message, right, that unites us, that pulls us together now. God is undoing the results of sin and death that was made visible through the city of Babel. And now in the church, the church is going to be different. Now, think about this. He could have done a lot of things. He could have just made us all the same color. That would have been supernatural. But God didn't desire a people that were all the same color. He could have made us all the same height. He could have fixed all you short people. Yeah. He didn't. Why? Because diversity is part of the beauty of what it means to be the body of Christ. So what did he give us that's common? He gave us a common message. That's what's happening here. The first miracle of the church. Day one. Ground zero. Inauguration day. Holy Spirit shows up to bring all this power that Jesus had been promising. And here they are. We receive the power. Now what do we do? Oh, we're going to share a message. We're going to declare the mighty works of God in a way that everybody can hear it. And rather than dispersing people and dividing people, it's going to unite people and bring people together. Verse 
verse 14 is where Peter's going to give some commentary. We'll read these verses, and then we're going to talk about not only what does this mean for us as a church, what does this mean for you? So in verse 14, Peter, empowered by what? Holy Spirit, he begins to do what? He stands with the 11, and he lifts up his voice. He's declaring a message, and he begins to explain. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he's going to begin to quote a prophet from the Old Testament who began to describe this day. To understand what's happening in this moment, we got to go back to where God was talking about this moment hundreds of years ago through the prophet Joel. And here's what Joel prophesied. This is in verse 17, Acts 2. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. What do you mean by that, God? Here's what I mean by that. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on male servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. No longer is God only imparting his spirit to select leaders, David's and Solomon specific people to accomplish his unfolding plan of redemption now is the day at the beginning of the era of the church where his spirit is poured out on all who believe oh you mean just the those really gifted men who are gonna be leading the church nope sons and daughters oh you mean so like the 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 old the the wise people in the church they're gonna get the spirit and nope the young and the old even the sir like the least of those Right, who are called my people will receive my spirit. Listen, church, everybody in Christ has been given the Spirit of God. That means the Holy Spirit of God is working in you. He's working in you in some unique ways that are different from how He's working in me. But He's working in some similar ways in us all. And listen, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that the Holy Spirit in us um, will gift us in different ways. Some will be gifted to teach. That's what I'm doing right here. Some will be gifted to serve. Some will be, have the gift of healing. And you'll know it because when you see these believers operating in their gift, you're going to go, that's supernatural. Like when you see somebody who has the gift of serving and they're sweeping the floor, something about it's going to move you. You're going to see Christ in that person. It's going to be different from when I sweep the floor. You with me? Like serving supernaturally gifted. Teaching supernaturally gifted. That's going to be displayed differently among the believers. But listen to me, church. The Holy Spirit in you is empowering you in the same way he's empowering me. It is with a common message. It's the message of the gospel. This is what God's doing here, the church. Before we get to all the other amazing supernatural signs and miracles that will come out of the church. First and foremost, what is God doing? Right, he's empowering his people to declare his mighty works in a way that brings people together. The Holy Spirit is the power of the church. It is the source of our efficacy. Personal level, 
Um, you've heard people who've had COVID probably talk about the COVID fog. And if you haven't had COVID, they're going to try to convince you it's real. Say, it's real. Well, then, so now I've had COVID, like it's, it's real. There's this mental cloudiness that just started happening. You're like, I just, everything feels blurry. And so Wednesday this past week was my first day back in the office. And I, come, I came into the office and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know that I'm going to be able to get anything done. And what my main thing was to, was to get ready for today. And I literally thought to myself for a few minutes, I started getting nervous. I was like, oh my gosh, if I feel on Sunday morning the way I feel today, I'll get up and do some talking, but there ain't going to be anything, any preaching going on. And as I moved through this passage, like guys, it was so gentle, but so convicting. God just spoke to me and said, Jason, the power for Sunday doesn't rest in you, bro. It's not contingent on your mental clarity. The power on Sunday is the same power from Acts chapter 2. It's the Holy Spirit. The message that you need to proclaim will be a supernatural message empowered by my Holy Spirit. Guess what? He doesn't have COVID fog. He speaks with clarity, power. He speaks in a way that draws you to God, draws you to one another. The power of the church, we just need to say some things out loud. The power of the church is not big personalities. If you're looking for a church with a big personality, this is about as big as I get, and this is about as big as we get here. Um, The power of the church uh, is not in creative strategies. We believe in processes and structure and strategy, but it's not the power of what, what happens here. It's not in aesthetics. It's not in cultural relevance. It's not in cultural appeal. The power of the church is not in our programs. The power of the church is the Holy Spirit of God. Apart from him, we can do nothing. If anything life-giving comes out of Solid Rock Church, it's the Holy Spirit. If anything eternal comes out of our ministries here, whether you're talking about kids' ministry, student ministry, adult ministry, Sunday, whatever, if anything eternal is happening in your life today, it's the Holy Spirit. I can't do eternal things. It's the Holy Spirit working. If anything worthwhile comes out of Solid Rock Church, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think it's an appropriate time to talk about, and I think Jeremy mentioned earlier in the welcome, just the, or in the community, said, hey, let's think about new beginnings, newness. It's the first of the year. Aren't we all thinking that way? We're thinking about, okay, what do I want to do different this year? What do I want to accomplish this year? How do I want to be different this year? Sort of think about new beginnings, start thinking about transformations, changes we want to make, how we want this year to be different from last year. Listen, There is a power at work in you that can transform you and change you this year. But it's not your power. It's not you. If you just try to make resolutions and white-knuckle your way through 2022, man, I give you two weeks. Some of you, it's the second, and some of you are already taking your first mulligan on your New Year's resolutions. I'll start the diet tomorrow. Uh, It's Monday. That's a good clean start. Let's start on Monday with our exercise, right? You're already failing yourself. The Bible describes this war that is um, being waged inside of each of us between the flesh and the spirit. 
The flesh is not the devil made me do it. The flesh is you and me. It's your own volition. It's your own will trying to white knuckle your way through life. That's you. And Paul says in Romans 7 and Romans 8, the flesh is at war with what? The spirit. If you're in Christ, the spirit of God is working in you. Waging war against your flesh. Right? It's a war between two wills, two volitions, two desires. Listen, if you want power and transformation this year, I've got three words for you. Humility, submission, surrender. That's what your flesh needs to do. That's what your own volition needs to do, right? In order that the Holy Spirit of God might be powerful in your life this year. Man, doesn't that sound good? And it, it kind of cuts against the grain, right? Through, through surrender, I'm going to get stronger. Through submission and humility, I'm somehow going to be transformed and made different? Yeah. That's the power of the gospel. That's what God's showing us here. Yes is the answer. One of the most powerful things you could do is surrender. Walk in humility and surrender to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. White-knuckling it is only going to take you so far. Then you're going to have to wait until next year to make some new resolutions. Right? So what? You can let yourself down again. God wants to work in our church powerfully this year. Do you believe that? If you don't, just say, I don't believe it. I believe it. I believe the elders here believe that. I believe our staff believes it. I believe our worship team believes it. Like, we believe God wants to work powerfully in Solid Rock Church this year. So what's the secret sauce? How do we make that happen? What programs do we need to start? What do we need to do to our community groups to get them more powerful? What do we need to do in our music? What do we need to, no, 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 stop. What were they doing? They just gathered together and out of nowhere the Holy Spirit comes. Like, here's what we need, church. We need to walk in perpetual dependency on the Holy Spirit this year. That's the best posture we could take to have a powerful year this year as a church. This community needs Solid Rock Church to be a powerhouse, to bring light into darkness, to bring rescue where there's slavery, to bring healing where there's brokenness. I'm telling you, this community needs God to work through this church powerfully this year. And if we start our year convinced that that's in us, in our talents, our abilities, our personalities, our programs, we are going to fail our community, and we're going to fail as the church. The most powerful thing we could do is learn how to lean into the Holy Spirit and depend on the Holy Spirit to do his work in us this year. So what's the Holy Spirit desire to do this year? The primary thing is what? He's given us a message to declare. And that's true of your life as well. Do you know that? You have been empowered to declare the mighty works of God. You can do this at work, the break room. Right? You can do it. We can do it in this room. We can do it in our old room. We can do it outside. You can do it in your front yard, on your front porch, over coffee with a friend, Starbucks, or somewhere else. But you, listen, you in Christ have been empowered with the same message that we're seeing unfold here in Acts 2. Right? Don't miss the forest for the trees here. It's not about the wind sound and the fire. It's about what? This supernatural message that the church has been given. And so we start this series answering this simple question. What is the power of the church? It is the Holy Spirit of God. So I want to 
give you a couple of things so you can do personally. I think walking in this idea of humility and just awareness of your own limitations is really important. To like be honest with yourself, admit to yourself where you have weakness and where you're powerless. This is why Paul, I think he says, you know what I've learned? I learned to boast in my weakness. Because the more I boast in my weakness, the more that I experience the power of Christ in my life. I think through this we can learn together how to lean into the Holy Spirit and walk in perpetual dependency on what he can and will do through us as a church. A couple of questions for you to think about. Why is it essential? Why do you think it's essential that God sets the church up this way? To be empowered by his spirit solely rather than like the talents or the contributions of his people. Just think about that. Why did God set the church up that way? And then begin to think about what would it mean for us as a church? How, would, how can we as a church become more dependent on the Holy Spirit this year? What kinds of things can we do to become more dependent on the Holy Spirit? And that'll lead us to the last question. What can you do? What can you do personally this year to become more dependent on the Holy Spirit of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this reminder from your word, this powerful moment in the church that not only launches the church in a really significant and exciting way, but it tells us a lot about what it means to be the church today. Father, you have given us the same Holy Spirit that you imparted at Pentecost. And Father, the power of the Spirit in us is doing the same work that the power of the Spirit was doing in the early church in Acts 2. You're empowering us to declare a message, a message of hope, a message of life, a message of salvation, a message of healing. God, you've empowered us to declare the mighty works of God. Father, this year we want to become more in line with what it means to be your church. We know that we have not arrived. As we read the scriptures, God, we are reminded of we are made aware of areas in 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 our church god where things need to be recalibrated realigned god we're praying that today would be more than just the first sunday of the year it truly would be a a moment in time god where you begin to work powerfully in solid rock church god where we get in the way i'm going to ask for something bold would you remove us God, where we get in the way, would you silence us? Would you sit us down? Father, that your spirit might work powerfully through Solid Rock Church in this community to the ends of the earth. And just praying that, God, for each member of our church. That, God, in each individual life, that, God, we would experience your power this year. Teach us to surrender. Teach us to submit to your Holy Spirit working in us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.